and adults. In the meantime, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three is the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. Second Peter chapter three, verses ten to fourteen. We have been uh, starting our Christmas series, uh, we started it last week, so let me give you a bit of a recap um, for those of you who might have not been here last week. Uh, we have started our Christmas series, which is called Christmas 2.0, Cradle to King, um, and last week we really just spoke about and unpacked this idea that God is faithful. Uh, he is a God who keeps his promises, and, and we, we know that because of Christmas Day. Because we can look at Christmas Day. Man, God made back all the way in Genesis 3. He made this promise that he was going to send someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And he, he goes on to uh, unpack this and give this in many forms throughout different prophets and throughout different messengers. That there was going to be this Messiah who was going to come to reconcile God to man. And Christmas Day, this, this first coming of Christ, this picture of Jesus being born in a manger is the ultimate fulfilling of that promise that here comes the Savior. And God God shapes history, he shapes nations, the whole of the Old Testament is a moving towards this coming of the Savior Jesus. And so we looked at that and we went, man, God is faithful, he keeps his promises. And so I want to encourage you uh, this morning is that whatever circumstance you might find yourself in, whatever situation it might be, I want you to know that God is faithful, that he keeps his promises. That if you're going through a difficult time, I want you to know that God says he will never leave you nor forsake you. That if you're struggling financially, I want you to know that God says he is your provider and he will provide. I want you to know that he says he will be with you all the time. And these are the promises that he has made. And so whatever your situation that you're in, man, we can find promises that God has made and we can know it is sure. Why? Because we look at first Christmas. We look at the coming of Christ. We look that he's died on the cross for us. And we are sure that he is faithful. But there's some promises in which he has made and which have not yet been fulfilled. There are things that he has promised and predicted that have not yet happened. And, and that primarily being the second coming of Christ. And in the passage that we looked last week, Peter says, do not doubt. Do not forget. Do not worry. Why? Because we know he has come and he will come again and this Jesus is coming again we sang about it this morning he's coming in robes of white he's going to break into our time and he's going to come again as king the first coming he came as a baby in a major with the direction of wanting to save but in the second coming, man, he comes as king of kings, lord of lords, to establish his nation, to establish his kingdom, to come and rule mightily as judge. And that there we spoke about last week, while might be frightening for those who do not know Christ, but for those of us who do, man, we long for it. It gives us joy, it gives us hope, it gives us a, a sense of perseverance. There is this change in our life. Because we know that Christ is coming again. And we want to unpack a bit about that this morning. How do we live with this anticipation of the coming of Christ? So let's look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. It says the following. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, uh, waiting for and hastening the coming of the, uh, the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will be uh, will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. He starts off the section by saying that the second coming of Christ, coming, his coming again is going to be like a thief. We as South Africans know what that's like, right? We've got a good idea of what it is to have a thief. Some of us might have experienced a house breaking. Alyssa and I did about a year and a few months ago. We were, it was last year, October. It was a lovely uh, uh, October evening. I uh, had my grandfather over with um, my mother and stepfather. We just decided to have him over. We had curry bunnies. It was fantastic. Uh, just a lovely evening, lovely night. And at the end of eating lovely food and lovely dessert, um, we said goodbye to our lovely folks. And uh, they headed off. And uh, I quickly went and sat down in my lounge, turned on the TV because there was cricket on. And I hadn't been watching it because I, was, I, had, to, I had to host. And so I turned on the channel and I saw South Africa playing Australia. We weren't doing very well at that moment. We, I found out the next day that we won. And at that moment, Alyssa went into the bathroom. She was going to have a shower. And so she went to go turn the shower on uh, and then go get ready for that. And as she got there, she realized the bathroom window was wide open. And she called me, which I wasn't very excited about because I had just sat down to watch crickets. She said, come and look here. I'm like, oh, man, okay. Crumbled to myself, got up, went there. And she said, did you leave this window as wide open as you did? And I was like, no, I hadn't. And she left to go into our bedroom, and as I was doing that, I saw dirt on the floor, and window was open, and our bathroom was, I mean, our bedroom was right here next to the bathroom, and then she screamed, there was someone in our, in our house. Long story short, um, he got away, we weren't, he didn't take anything, um, we were perfectly fine, actually he got caught three months later, uh, the detectives found him, and they caught his, him with fingerprints, but the reason why I tell you all of that, it was just a normal day. Carrying on. Alyssa was actually on school holiday, so it wasn't as normal as normal. But I was, I was at work. I came home that night. We hosted our family. It was just a normal day. It was completely unexpected. You do not expect this to happen. You, it's un, you're unprepared. You're not ready for something like that to take place. And this is what Peter says is the coming of Christ is going to be like. It's going to be a normal day. Sunny. Going out, going to work, average day, just as you are thinking, and Christ is going to return. It's going to be unexpected, unplanned for. It's going to be there. And I know Scripture talks about there being this general idea of the coming uh, of Christ again, is there's some things, signs in which you can see in which tell us that Christ is coming again. There's going to be wars, there's going to be famine, there's going to be droughts, uh, there's going to be rumors of wars, etc., etc., that Christ is going to come again. And we look at these signs and we say, man, he's got to be close. He's got to be. But I want us to remind us again that every generation has thought that. Every generation has looked at the signs, those general th signs, and gone, we are the lost. And so I want us 
and Peter wants us here to make sure we are ready. We're not asleep. We're prepared. We're getting ready for the coming of Christ. Other parts of scripture, Jesus will talk about when the groom arrives, make sure that you're awake. You're not asleep. Be prepared. Get ready for it. So how do we get ourselves prepared for this um, coming, the second coming of Jesus? Uh, well, the apostle Peter says that uh, in verse 10, he says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens and uh, uh, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved and the earth uh, and its works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, I have a world here. Um, I just need it. There we go. I have this world. Ian's wife painted this, by the way. This is just a normal Chinese lantern. And she painted this beautifully. Now, he has this world. And we, uh, we know here that, man, the scripture says that everything that's done on this planet that we live in, everything's going to be exposed. Everything that we do on it, every uh, part of it is going to be exposed. Every motive, every heart action, every thought is going to be exposed. Now, that is a, <laughs> I, every time I think about it, it's quite a sobering thought. I, I don't like it. It's not very fun to know that everything that I've done one day, Christ will come and he will expose it. It's going to be judged. And, and we'll talk about how that works a little bit later. But, uh, well, actually, let me talk about it now. Is what happens in Corinthians, what's going to happen, Corinthians talks about what's going to happen is, at the end of the time, Christ is going to come and all the works that we have done are going to be tested. And how it's going to be tested, Paul uses the imagery of wood, straw, and hay, of being the works that we've done for ourselves. And what's left uh, is going to be the things, and things are going to survive the things that we've done for God's glory. These are gold, silver, and precious stones. That's the imagery he uses there. And so the fire that's going to test it is going to burn it all up and only this hardy stuff like gold, silver, and stone survives, but the hay and everything disappears. It disappears. Now, I was meant to burn this world. Uh, I'm not even kidding. Look, I've got, a, I've got a, a, a gas torch right here. I was going to burn it, but I decided I'm not going to do that this morning. Um, it's a little hot, and I'm worried about us smoking us out, and the fire exits are that way, and all those kinds of safety hazards. But what essentially happens is... Sorry, let me put this down. The world gets taken away, and the only thing that is left for us are the things that we've done for Christ. That's the only thing. That's the only thing that matters. Everything else will be burnt up. The world will be renewed. We will have it all. But the only thing that we can bring from this life into the next life is the things that we have done for Christ. Now, that there stirs in up a desire for us to live for him. But what that also does, it, it helps us to remind us, church, that we have a plan and a purpose. That Christ has created us. If we have crossed the line of faith and we believe in him, that he has a plan and a purpose. Your life has meaning. It does. Ephesians 2 verses 10 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he planned for us beforehand. Before the foundations of the world, God had you in mind and planned good works for you. Isn't that incredible? He's planned good works. You have a meaning. You have a purpose in your life. And you need to live it out for the glory of God. And at the end of time, at the end of your life, your works for him are going to be tested whether it's for him or for self. 
And so this builds in us, motivates us to make sure that we live for him and his glory. It gives us fresh purpose. That as we remember Christmas, we remember that he's come and died for us so that we might know him, but also that we might live for his glory until he comes again. And if you have breath in your lungs, and if you have woken up this morning, which you all have and you're all sitting here, that God still has a plan and a purpose for you. He does. He does. And so how do we then, if this second coming of Christ comes, how do we live with this readiness in mind? How do we make sure that we are prepared for the, the coming of Christ? Peter gives us an idea in verse 11. He says this. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? The coming of Christ requires life change. This anticipation that Jesus will come again requires that we change our lives accordingly. And the first way we do that is, church, that we need to make sure that we cross the line of faith. We need to make sure that faith is present. Now, what I mean by that is that we need to believe that Jesus is real. We need to believe that he's died for us on the cross and that he has set us free from our sins and he's risen again so that we might know God and we might know him. And if you believe that, if you repent from your sins, you will be saved and you receive faith. That's faith. Faith is believing in Christ. And, and faith is required to please God. Hebrews says that without faith, we cannot please God. Why? Because the same faith that believes in Jesus is the very same faith that stirs up in us good works for his glory. It's the same faith, not two different ones, the same one. And so there's this need for us to know this Jesus. And when we do that, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes and he fills us up. He comes and dwells in us so that we can live for the glory of Christ. But how then do we know what we ought to do and what we ought not to do? How do we know what we should do? Well, first and foremost is that Peter tells us that we need to look at, last week, he said, look back at the predictions of the holy prophets and look again at the commandments of what your apostles have made. The way in which we are able to know how we ought to live is by spending time in this book. That's it. This book here is not just something that we read for fun, but rather it is the word of God that is inspired, that gives instruction on how to live, that gives us detail on who this God is, that we might know him and grow in him, experience the purpose in our lives, experience the joy that comes with living a life for the glory of Christ. This is what this book is. This is a silly acronym that we've, people have made up what Bible could possibly stand for. The B stands for uh, basic. The I stands for instruction. The next B stands before. The L stands for leaving. And the E stands for earth. Basic instructions before leaving earth. This book is God giving us the life in which we ought to live in so that we might experience the joys and wonder of what it is to live for his glory and his praise. And it's so important that we do it. And my heart is for the kids that are sitting here this morning because I, I've realized that mastering this does not come overnight. It's a lifelong journey of 
of unpacking and knowing and growing in it. It's, it's, it's needed. There's this, there's this passage that says in, in Psalm 119, uh, verse 9, it says, How can a young man or young woman keep his way or her way pure? By guarding it according to God's word. And our parents particularly here this morning, your children will not be able to keep their way pure by purely through self-control. They won't be able to do it by your advice the way they're going to be able to do it is by the instruction of God's word. And they're not going to be able to do it if you do not model it to them. You do not show them how to unpack it. You do not show them how to live this out. We have extremely, we are extremely blessed at this church with a wonderful uh, group of teachers that teach our children every Sunday. We really do. We have, they, they serve you and they serve me. Actually, they serve us as a church. Because that means we can have the kids in the back, right? It means that they get to share the, hear the gospel in their own way that is uh, important for them to understand at a level in which they can grasp. It's, it's, it's great for me because I just be able to preach. I don't have to pick up worlds. And I don't have to do those kinds of things. They do it at the back. They serve us wonderfully. But parents, the role is, and your children will not get faith unless you live it out daily for them and help them unpack it. And so there's this thing that we have come up with and on the, at the back. Um, I've brought one here. A Bible reading guide. We've got one. It's so important to be able to unpack this and, so, and, and know how to do this together. So we've got one for families in here, how to do family devotionals, but we also have for those for you who are individuals. Um, the ones that you've got on your chairs are a little different, all right? These ones are found on the back, on the back, uh, on the thing, this Bible reading, guys, for those of you who want it. The best thing that I have ever done for the growth of my faith was to read, go through a Bible reading plan. Genuinely, it has been the best thing that I've done. I've done devotions my whole life. I've done various different things. But to be able to read through Scripture systematically has been the best thing to grow my faith. I do one that reads the Old Testament once in a year, the New Testament twice with Psalms twice. And it's great because I get to read a bit of the Old Testament and the New Testament at the same time, which means I never get bored. <laughs> because, you know, we, let's be honest, sometimes we go through Leviticus and it is tough. And so I only read one chapter in Leviticus, but I also read one in John. So if it's a tough day in Leviticus, man, I know my heart's going to get something out of John. And so it's great. And, and every year I read through it. And I don't panic if I miss a day. I just pick it up and I go because I know that next year it's going to come again and again. And so I encourage you, do this. My problem with my, my concern, not my problem, my concern with devotional books, they are fantastic. That's not my concern. My concern is we have one little scripture or verse on the top. We quickly read it. We never think of it again. And we only meditate on somebody else's meditation. But God's word, Psalm 1 says that we need to meditate on God's word, on the word. Let it unpack it in our lives. Let it dwell on it, think on it. Let it change you from the inside. Let the Holy Spirit do its work. It is the greatest thing that you're going to be able to do. And there's ones that in here Nikki has put together how to do it as a family and also how to do it as individuals. If you don't do that, pick one up on the way out. 
The second uh, thing that we, uh, sorry, that's the second thing. The third thing that we need to do in order to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ is that we need to be messengers of God's word, proclaimers of our God, messengers of the gospel, sharing about this coming of Jesus and the coming again of Christ. This is what we are called to do. It's, it's something that is, if you're a Christian, everyone is called to do it. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19 says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son. Oh, sorry, teaching them all that I've commanded you, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are called to do that as individuals. Now, as I say that, and I know that our hearts, some of us leap with joy because that's what you like doing, and some of you, that intimidates you. That's scary. You're not great at communicating the gospel. You don't know how to share your face. You, uh, it's awkward. It's difficult. You don't have the gift of evangelism because there is that. There's some people who have the gift of evangelism. They're just brilliant at doing it. I have a friend named Eugenio. He lives in Grahamstown. He's a pastor there. He's led two people to Christ because they called the wrong number. He just has the ability to be able to share the gospel. He just does. And people get saved all the time. But yet that does not less let you and me off the hook because we don't have that gift then. We are called to do it. And you might just say, Job, man, I can't communicate this. I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm not a brilliant communicator by any matter of means. But I want you to know that God uses the ordinary. He does. He uses the ordinary to do extraordinary things that have an eternal impact. He uses the weak he uses the frail. Why? Because he gets all the glory when they do something great because it wasn't them. It could only be God. That's the amazing part. And my story is that an ordinary, I have a couple of men in my life who, who really influenced me. And one of them was a guy named Denver Anderson. Ordinary chap. He, uh, he lived in Ganubi, and he felt the Lord say he needs to start something in Ganubi called Sunsurf. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a Christian organization of surfers. They get together, they do Bible studies, and they surf. And my grandfather came home one day from the beach. He had uh, been there, and on one of the showers at Ganubi Beach had this invitation of Sunsurf starting. So he got hold of Denver, said, how can my grandson and his friend please come and join this? He said, that's fantastic. Come and join us. He said, but they don't surf. They wave ski. Now, just to give you a bit of insight into surfing culture, wave ski and surfers just don't fit well together. They don't. They got nicknames for us wave skiers. They call us goat boats. That's not a nice name. They call us egg beaters because we paddle, and so it looks like we're beating eggs. They just don't like us. But he was, yo, man, come and join us. It's fine. And there were five of us, five, and two of us were wave skiers. But yet we met faithfully every Tuesday night and we went on surf trips a lot. And it was because of this man who must have been about 10 years older than me. He was so cool because he surfed and he was 10 years older than me. I was 13. Oh, man. So it was great. And he spoke about Jesus and he prayed with us. And it was during this period. He didn't lead me to Christ. I was sitting home one day, but the Lord revealed himself to me. But it was because of this man's faithfulness of starting this group that he felt the Lord say that I came to salvation. And for the rest of eternity, I promise you, he's going to be one of the couple of men that I have in my life that I'm going to look back and I'm going to bump into strangers and Denver's going to be walking on the new earth. And he's going to be there. I'm going to be, see, see that guy? 
he was the reason. He was one of the reasons why I came to know Jesus. And he's a stay-at-home dad now that lives in the UK, and he's a fantastic guy. His wife's a big corp person. But yet an ordinary guy made an eternal impact in my life, which I am eternally grateful for, because he was just faithful in something small. There was, there's, a, there's a story of a 12-year-old boy in the UK. It's snowing on a Sunday, and he goes to church. He can't get to the church he normally goes to, and so he pops into this Baptist church, and he, he sits down in the pew, and he's hardly not that many people there, and there is this guy who gets up and preaches. He's not the standard preacher. It was snowing so much that day that he couldn't make it to church. So this poor deacon who is completely unprepared, has no passion and gifting in preaching whatsoever. He gets told he needs to go and stand up. So he gets up and he opens God's word and he fumbles through it. And as he fumbles through it, he looks at and he sees this 12-year-old boy and he says to him, and he turns to him and says, what about Jesus? You need Jesus, what about him? You need Jesus, what about him? And that young 12-year-old boy that day gives his life to Jesus. He realizes his sin, he realizes need for Christ, and he comes to the Lord. That 12-year-old boy's name's Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest church fathers ever, who has changed hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of people's lives through his preaching, through his books he wrote, and his faithfulness to Christ, one of the greatest Baptist preachers of all time was saved because a deacon had to stand up who could not preach but was faithful in doing it. Ordinary man. And you know what? History, historians have searched to try to find out who this deacon is and no one knows. Don't know his name. Don't know who he is. But yet, for all eternity, he had one great impact in saving this young boy's life who would go on to save hundreds of thousands. Church, you might be ordinary But God uses the ordinary to do great, extraordinary things. And all we are called to do is be faithful, to share it, and he will do the rest. Whether millions know about it or whether one person does, you make an impact and you change lives for all eternity, just like mine was changed because of a guy named Denver Anderson. The second, uh, the last thing that we need to do and we've kind of touched on it, so it won't be long, is we've got some piggy banks over here this morning. We're really ripping out the props this morning. Jesus says in Matthew 6 that you need to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. And we've got this piggy bank here. Let's use this one for earth, I mean, and this one for heaven, because green's my favorite color. So we've got two, and as, as we go on in life, we get to put money into one or the other. And as we focus on certain things, we build in. And may I, may I just suggest on, on this building on this earth one, it's not wrong. May I just say that? Just, and let me clarify that. It's not wrong to have earthly possessions. It's not wrong to have a car. It's not wrong to have a house. It's not wrong to have clothes. It's not wrong to have cell phones. It's not wrong to have those things. But what Christ is saying in that passage is do not let this be your primary focus. Do not let this be where your, your energy is pushed to the max. That, let not this be your, your motive in life, your comfort and your security, because at the end of the day, it will be taken away. Rust will destroy it. Thieves will break in and steal it. It will be disappeared, says Jesus, and you cannot take it with you. What remains is this one. I can't fit this inside here. But what remains is the one we do in here. 
This is ultimately the purpose is Christ. Live your life for him. Live for his glory. Let your purpose, let your focus, let your energy be poured into glorifying him and making his, his name known and building his kingdom. This is what we ought to do. Now, we, many of us have different capacities and different work situations and different life situations, but it's okay because we are still called to build in whatever capacity we can and whatever situation God has placed us in into this box. Pray about it, think about it, figure it out. How can you do that? Now, that brings me to the one that you've got on your ch- chair. This year, I put together this week, um, is how to share your testimonial. Because as we realize, it's, it's a bit, there's, there's a couple around, on two on each chair. If you could take one per family, that would be great. Um, there will be some leftovers as well. So if you really desperately want one and you don't know how to do this, um, just grab, grab one on your chair, or on somebody else's chair. Um, and take that. But that there gives a way to explain how do you share your faith briefly. It's so important that we be prepared on how to share our own faith. The, the beauty of sharing our own faith is that nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can argue with you about theology. Why? Because your experience is your experience. And they can use every argument under the sun, but it doesn't matter because your faith and your testimony is yours and they can never ever take that away from you so figure out how can you share that well how can you do that well for the glory of christ and may i ask you to be so bold is that in this on the back of this one we've got a thing called a stocking list it's really christmas theme this year and on the back here a stocking list if names that we ask that you pray about lord show me some people that you want me to share my faith with this coming year how can I do that? And put your name, those names down, pray for them daily, and ask God to give them an opportunity to share your faith with. That is super important. Now, church, if we do that, if we get that right, man, we're going to be ready for the coming of Christ. And the glorious day when he arrives, we will be ready, we will be changed, and we are waiting for our Savior, our King of kings and Lord of lords, to arrive. That is is how we need to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. Again, let the first Christmas stir up faith in your hearts because the second one is coming. And we know that is sure because the first one has arrived. Let us pray. Lord, we are truly grateful that we are able to just long for and look forward to the day of the coming of Christ again, where we get to spend time in eternity in the full presence of our Savior, where we get to have new bodies and where we get to experience fullness of peace, the fullness of joy with no more pain, no more crying anymore. And we know this day is coming because of the day of Christmas in which we celebrate this year. And so, Lord, we ask that you would stir up a desire in our hearts to love you, to know you more. May those that don't know you this morning, may there be a faith that is instilled in their hearts for Christ. May those who who are struggling, uh, spending time in the word of God, would you help them to find the time? Would you help them to have um, a deep desire in it? May they see Christ clearly. May it be fresh and new for them again. May, as the psalm says, it be like honey to their tongues as they read it. We pray, Lord, for a boldness to be able to share our faith, that you would give us insight into where you're moving and that we might do that. And, Lord, that we might be wise in building into the kingdom, into eternal treasures and not temporal ones. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.